But today, we're starting a new sermon series called Faith and Work. Um, and we, we wanted to do this ser- series actually even since last year because we realize a lot of you spend most of your time at work, right? Um, I think Dorothy Sayers said that nine-fifths or oh, nine-tenths of our time are spent at work, right? We are busy at work. And some, sometimes the questions we have is like, what does it look like to be a Christian in the workplace? What does it look like to be a Christian in the marketplace? And some, we don't really have the answer. Um, actually, even now, in the past five years, there's been this proliferation of like seminars, books, and conferences on faith and work. But it's still complicated. It's still, we're like, I don't know what that means. I'm just going to go to work because that's what I'm supposed to do, right? I was born into this world. I go to work. But I think the Bible provides for us a framework, a perspective of what faith, of what that intersection between faith and work should look like. And a lot of that we actually will see in the book of Genesis, in the creation narrative. As God unveils the world, as God creates the world, creates humanity to be part of the world. And so today I want to show you what is that theological framework, the biblical perspective for what faith and work should look like. So we'll be reading from Genesis 1, verse 1, till 3, and then Genesis 2, um, and then Genesis uh, 2, verse 2. Okay, so if you have your scripture, you can turn with me. Genesis 1, verse 1. This is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And then this is Genesis 2, verse 2. It says this, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the, uh, on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed that seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating um, that he had done. And this is verse 7. Then the Lord God made formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the man becoming a living being. Let's all pray together before we jump in. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, pray even today that you would open our, high, our eyes, our minds, our hearts to your word, to what you're saying to us. Um, I pray even now that um, even some of the confusions that we have regarding faith and work and what that's supposed to look like, that even in the next couple of series, God, that you would open our hearts to see how you're calling us to live Christianly in our workplaces. Um, I pray, God, even as we wrestle with your text, that you um, also convict our hearts. Um, Even as we try to decipher and extrapolate all that you're saying to us. But more than ever, God, I pray that you change our hearts and you lead us in the places you're leading us, God. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Um, if you're probably anything like me, um, you probably ask yourself some days, what is the point of work? Why do we do this? 
why do I spend 50, 60 hours a week at work? What is the purpose? Who did this? Who invented work? Why do we have to work, right? Or maybe you don't even ask those questions. And maybe it's just like, no, this is just what I do. And uh, especially if you're an optimist, you're just like, oh, yeah, another day, let's go, you know. But if you're a pessimist like me, you're just like, oh, what's the point? Why do I have to do this again? Another week, right? Um, Sunday, Sunday night comes. I know tonight a lot of us are going to be like dreading the week. The thing, though, I want you to see is that whether you ask those questions or not, whether you're a Christian or not, no matter your perspective, you're actually bringing something. There's a narrative that you've taken about work, and you're bringing that to work. There's a particular set of beliefs that we all hold. What, different? It might be different, but we all bring it to our workplaces. For better or for worse, it informs the way we work. It informs the way we think about work, right? So some of us, yeah, what are those questions we're asking, we're all bringing it into our workplace. Um, so I think one of the ways we tend to answer those questions is, well, I work so I can enjoy the weekend, right? Everybody's working for the weekend. You know that song, right? It's a popular song. Um, we, you know, we think of work as a way for us to get leisure, for us to go on vacation and have fun, right? But we're working for the weekend. We're working for our summer vacation. It's the way we think about work. We're working or we're working for wealth, to accumulate wealth. We're working to climb up the ladder, to be successful, right? We all have a particular set of beliefs that we're bringing into the workplace, but I think when we look at scripture, we see a framework that God is providing. Even in those scripture, those verses we just read. It doesn't he didn't really talk about leisure. Right? He talked he talked about rest. But that was not it was part of work. But yeah, it's not leisure. It's not money. It's not wealth. It's not climbing the the ladder. It's something else. So I want to show you what that looks like. What God, how God is calling us to think about work. First, is I want you to realize, first point is, work is good. <laughs> work is good. Simple as that. God instituted work. Um, in that first verse, Genesis 1, he said he created the heavens and the earth. He took what is formless and empty, and what did he do? He made it good. Right? He created. And then when he talked about him resting uh, on the seventh day, it said he rested from all his work. The act of creation was work. And if you read all of the Genesis narrative, it talks about him creating the light, creating the gardens, creating all these things, first day, second day, third day, which, by the way, it's not the whole point of Genesis 1 or Genesis creation story. Is not for, it's not a science book. The point is that God created. God worked. That's what the, the writers want us to see, that God worked. How did he do it? He did it by speaking. He says, let there be light. It's verse 1, verse 2. He speaks. That's what he does. And the, kind of the way I think about it, it's like if you're 
computer programmer. You know, you, you've pro- programmed uh, a voice command, right? Siri, hey, Siri, <laughs> tell me what's happening in the world today. God created by speaking. God created by using his cognitive abilities, intellectual abilities to bring things into existence. He carried out a vision for the world, and he spoke it into existence. You know what's fascinating about this? That this is also true about Jesus. One of the things that Jesus was famous for, right? We went over the Sermon on the Mount, and people would say, wow, this is so profound. He spoke it. He preached it. He gave sermons through his words, and people were astounded by that. Jesus using his intellectual abilities to uh, persuade people, to convict people through his words. This is work at its perfection. So that's one of the ways we see God creates, by speaking into existence. The second way we see him doing this is by his hands. It talks about him forming and fashioning uh, humanity, molding them into existence and breeding new life. And that exudes that imagery of a clay and a potter making and molding something. In fact, the book of Isaiah talks about God being that, shaping us, shaping humanity into what he wants us to be. We also see this about Jesus. For most of his life, he was actually a carpenter, you know, doing his family trade, um, doing what his father taught him. For most of his life, he lived as a carpenter. Do you see that? God, one who is speaking, and God who is using his hands, Jesus doing the same thing. I mean, the way I think about it is, is this, is God is this white-collared worker. He has this white-collared credentials, right? His speaking abilities. But he's also a blue-collared worker. He's this white-collared worker using his intellect and his cognitive abilities, and at the same time, he's using his hands to, to create, to form. And I think through this, Jesus... Uh, is trying to show us, God is trying to show us that it doesn't matter what job you have, that all your work is good, whether you're a carpenter, whether you're an electrician, or whether you're a programmer, whether you're a writer, all work is good. There's inherent value in your work, whether you're using your intellectual abilities, whether you're using your hands, to shape and create things into existence. I think, um, especially in our world today, if you live in New York City, there's this tendency to devalue work that is made with hands. There's a tendency, if you go around asking people, oh, what do you do? And they tell you you're an electrician. You're like, oh, that's nice. But if someone tells you, oh, well, I'm a lawyer and I'm a partner at a firm, you're like, whoa, oh, my God. That's great work. How did you do that? What school did you go to? What are your credentials? Yes, that's great. Right? We tend to value work that, is, that requires more of uh, intellectual abilities, that requires you to, to have, you know, 10 years of schooling at the best school. We value those work, those kinds of work. But those who are just 
getting by, right? It's kind of the white-collar workers, they're the ones who are thriving, right? They're, 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 the, their desire is to thrive in our world. But what we see, in, 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 especially in the U.S., the blue-collar workers, they're just trying to survive. Trying to survive. Thriving and surviving. And God is calling us to change our thinking, change our perspective, that all work is good. All work is inherently good. First, we know this because he actually institutes humanity to work. He told Adam, go into the field, the garden, and tend the field and cultivate the garden. But do you know what he also told Adam to do? To speak, to name the animals. It's kind of like a science project, right? Use your intellectual abilities to name the animals, name the species. But also, use your hands to shape the garden, to cultivate. All work in itself is inherently good. Some of you are hearing that. Well, yeah, that, yeah, that sounds good. Work is, yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah, I, I can see that. But it doesn't really translate to my day-to-day life. Work does not feel good. It feels stressful feels dreadful, right? Um, I can't wait for the week to end. The stress, the sleepless nights. So even the idea that work is good feels, can feel a little bit distant, can feel like, no, that doesn't, it doesn't translate to reality. It was because of this, is that work in itself is also fallen. It's fallen. It's been deeply flawed. Um, Even even this, um, because I I was thinking about this. Well, you could have work where I actually enjoy my work. It's good. I'm having a good time. But it always will let you down, even if you're having fun at work, even if your work feels good. It will always let you down. Down. I, I wor- worked, watched this documentary by, um, about Lawrence Taylor, who was a um, um, great uh, defensive, uh, what was it? It was a defensive player for the Giants in the NFL. And he, in the 80s, right, he, he was known because he revolutionized what it looks like to be a defensive player. Like, he changed the way you are a defensive player. Um, and um, he talked about their pursuit of the Super Bowl. You know, it was hard, it was difficult. But when they got it, it was amazing. They were on top of the world, like the best thing that he's ever experienced. Then he said, even in that interview, it was like, everything else after that was a letdown. Like, I reached the top of my sport, of, of my athleticism, and everything after that is a letdown. So even when you're here and you're, you're thriving at work, you're successful at work, guess what? It only comes down from there. <laughs> Sorry, I know that sounds kind of like, oh, sad. But it is a letdown. The possibility of losing your job. The possibility of, of a, a financial disaster. Things that can happen. Anything after that. It's a letdown. 
for Lawrence Taylor. I haven't reached those heights. I haven't fulfilled that. And then starting all over again the next season and realizing they can't, do they can't get to that top they were, once were. It's like each loss for them was just added pain, added insecurity. The truth is, Genesis 3 actually frames that for us of why work is fallen. Genesis 3, uh, verse, I don't remember what verse, five, 5 or something, one of those verses. <laughs> it says, God says to Adam and Eve, after they had disobeyed God, he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will, you will eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. Yeah. You will toil in frustration. You will sweat each work week. Work is hard. I mean, if you think about it this way, it's like even the need for a firefighters, the need for a police force tells you, oh, yeah, the, the world is falling. The world is evil. You need extra jobs, <laughs> extra jobs to keep our society from falling into shambles. Our world is flawed. But we have to realize this, is why is that the case? Why is our world falling? And God alludes, he tells us, it's because of us, because of all of us, because we're tainted. We ourselves are fallen. We are tainted. And because each and every one's are tainted, our relationships are tainted as well. Right? Think about how you have to deal with each other at your workplaces, with your coworkers. It's hard. Like that, that's the hardest part of work, actually, is dealing with people, working with people. And typically what we do is, well, it's that person's fault. That person is the one that caused it. No, we are also part of the problem. Disrupted relationships. And because of that, our institutions are corrupted, right? Our institutions are made up with people like us. <laughs> We're the ones who are building the institutions. And because of that, they are corrupted. We are tainted. Our relationships are disrupted. Now institutions are corrupted. So what ha ends up happening is, especially in light of the, that, uh, uh, like an example, like the white-collared worker, for them, freedom is, is, is uh, uh, finding freedom is placing our expectations in our work, right? Putting everything in our work, putting our identity and our significance in our work. As a blue-collared worker, freedom is, I don't want to do this again anymore. <laughs> Get this away from me. I don't want to do this. So there's this fight where we place all of our identity and all of our significance in our work. And at the end of the day, it cannot hold the weight. It cannot hold it. So you know what that means then. If work is good and work is flawed... That is, there's kind of this dissonance. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's good one week, it's bad one week. You feel that dissonance at, at times. Um, and this is why uh, Miroslav Volf, he, he says this. He says, the creation narrative 
affirm the inescapable reality of human sin that makes work unavoidably an ambiguous reality. It is both a noble expression of human creation in the image of God and a painful testimony to human estrangement for God, from God. This is this ambiguous reality that we all face. That so we, we at times, I feel it too. I'm like, oh yeah, this, yeah, I'm supposed to enjoy my work, but I don't enjoy my work all the time. Just to be honest, it's, it's hard. I know there's this narrative out there like, well, the best jobs are the ones who are making a difference in our world. The pastors, you know, the nonprofits, and all of this, you know, charity water because they're so cool. And, but no, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. You feel the weight. And at times I feel the weight because I know I place so much of my significance on how I perform and how I do. And that's the reality in New York City. It's like the more you bring to the table, the more productive you are, the more you're valued. The more your worth is on, is based on what you can produce. If you live in Boston, it's based on how smart you are. If you live in L.A., it's how beautiful you are. That's why I'm here, because I'm not as beautiful as, you know, so I, I just work like a Nigerian guy, you know? Like, just... just <laughs> well, yeah, it's like... But in New York City, your value is based on how much you produce. And we end up taking this cultural narrative that says my worth and my significance is based on what I do. And then when you realize that, you act, yeah, when you realize that your work does not give you significance, doesn't really fulfill you as much as it should, as you think you should, you go home and you're stressed out. You're sleepless. You can't sleep. Because all of your value and all of your significance is on what you do. And then lastly, I'll end with this. Because there is hope. <laughs> There's hope because of Jesus. And I don't say that jokingly. There is. Like Christ actually comes to bear all of our significance. Christ comes to say, no, no your, your worth and your value is, is so much more than you think that I even sacrificed my life for you. That's how much your worth is. The gospel gives us a renewed perspective on work, a renewed sense of significance, because we don't have to place all of that on our work. Jesus himself can carry that burden for you. Outside of Christ, work then becomes meaningless, because he gives us new meaning for our work. He, he comes and he says, he, even within us, as we believe him, as we trust him. He transforms our heart. He convicts us of our sins. And he reconciles us to each other. So because of him, all work can be meaningful. Work can be good and hopeful. And even when we live in that dissonance, in that ambiguous reality, that there is hope in Christ, that as we give him the weight that he deserves, the significance he deserves, and he can carry that weight for us. That's why he was crucified. That's why he was resurrected. In fact, when you look at Genesis 3, Genesis 3 actually in it holds this first 
prophetic word to the world that hope is here. Hope is coming. Um, in that passage, I think it's Genesis 3.15, it talks about um, um, the, the, the seed of the woman stepping on the snake, right? The snake, the serpent, that, the deceiver, the evil one will crush the head of the snake. But at the same time, the snake will, will, um, will uh, I forget the word it used, will bite or would, would uh, bite the heel of that seed. And that word is actually, what, 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 what God is showing there is pointing to Jesus, that Jesus would actually sacrifice his life to, to break the power of the evil one. That Jesus will sacrifice his life, will give up his life so that we can now truly find significance in him. So that once we were estranged from God, we can now be connected to God. So here's the reality is that work is good. God has instituted work for us. We are supposed to work even though we don't feel like it. It is good in itself. But at the same time, because of our fallen world, work is fallen. Work is tainted. But through Jesus Christ, there is hope. As we place our identity in him, we can see that all work is now redeemed through Christ. So the question I have for you, even as we close and as the worship team comes, is what are you working for? What, what, what are you working for? What, is it just for wealth? Is it just for significance? Because you realize that wealth can be gone in a second. <laughs> it's funny, like Elon Musk tweeted something just, you know, just like that, and all of a sudden 20 million is gone, right, just from a tweet. But even for us, the, 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 experiencing the, 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 the fact that money itself can be gone just like that, we can't put our worth in money, we can't put our worth in our significance or in our, our identity on our work or trying to climb up a ladder, because that ladder will collapse one day. But the one thing we know that is sure is Jesus, who resurrected from the dead, who assures us that, no, we can have hope in him. We can have hope in him. So my prayer, even as we close, is that we will realize that Jesus, even as he says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are tired, Come to me, all who are just, who are stressed out, and I will give you rest. So let's pray together. And my prayer is that we will all come to Jesus today. Let's pray. God, we we recognize um, that so often that our, uh, our identity is built on things that could crumble in any second. Honestly, that's why we get so stressed out. That's why we get so um, tired and weary. I pray, God, today that even in the ambiguity of life and the dissonance that we sometimes feel, that we recognize that there is hope in you. That we would freely come, even as you invite us, invite us to lay our burdens, to lay our stress, our weariness upon you. 
So I pray, God, even now, that you help us and you challenge us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.